0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Alex. I'm the lead pastor here at Courtright, and I want to say welcome. Allison said at the beginning, but some of you came in after she did that, so welcome to Courtright, especially if you're here for the first time. Some of you know Justin, but we thought it was worthwhile doing an introduction anyway. Justin's been here at Courtright for a month and a half now as our new director of worship and outreach, and you may or may not have had a chance to talk to him yet, but we thought that... You might like to learn something additional about him, even if you have. So, Justin, there you are. This is very very natural. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How does one do that transition? (laughs) Where do you come from, Justin? (laughs) Uh, that's
1: good. Um, I so I'm uh, born and raised in Guelph. Actually, I should say so. Um, my last name is Sitzma. In case you are like, oh, how do you, How the heck do you say Sitzma? Not Sistma. It's like sit, as in we're, we're sitting right now. Sma. Um, it's from it's a, it's Frisian. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm uh, I'm born and raised in Guelph uh when I was uh when I was very little my family attended the Guelph Bible Chapel um uh, which is uh kind of just up the road uh across from a very infamous building that my daughter thinks is a castle um and and a, and a few weeks ago we were driving past it and it was all um lit up with purple lights and she's like daddy it's so pretty that's that's your new job um, and, I, and so I had to clarify very gently with a three-year-old that I, I am not a male stripper. Um, Good to get that straight. <laughs> so um, that was, uh, um, sorry, let me back up. Um, that was our church until I was uh, about three at which point, uh, there was a number of families from the Guelph Bible Chapel that, uh, launched Lakeside Bible Church, which is where I ended up being for the really, yeah, the next almost 30 years of my life. Um, and eventually uh, I went through youth ministry there, all that good stuff and, and came on staff when I was about 20, 21 years old. And I uh, worked in a variety of roles from everything from youth ministry to young adult ministry to, um, worship arts ministry to, uh, leading, eventually leading our Lakeside downtown, uh, campus up until a few months ago. Um, So really, I mean, I don't remember much about the Guelph Bible Chapel. So what's kind of interesting is that other than a few months, I was living up in Huntsville for a while, and I occasionally attended a Baptist church on a couple of Sundays that I had off, Courtright is really kind of only my second church home. So I'm I'm pretty excited about that, and it's pretty cool. So,
0: yeah. Speaking of Courtright, you're here now, obviously. Yes, (laughs) Yes <laughs> I see I see you <laughs> I can't see you that well. I feel like I'm a little too far ahead. Yeah. I kind of think you should be up, but I guess I'm curious. I know the story a little bit, but lots of us don't mm-hmm. uh, how you would describe the The process of coming to court, right? Like you you were called to be here. You believe that, but Mm -hmm. what was the journey like getting here? Yeah.
1: Well, and it's, and it's not a very common journey to go from like a a freewheeling non-denominational church to a Presbyterian church. It's, (laughs) um, that's, that's generally not a thing. Um, but, uh, so, um, 18 months ago, a year ago, uh, I was a very, I was in a very different place. Um, I, and I would say I was not in a good place. Uh, I was uh, experiencing what I would call severe uh, burnout and depression. Um, and it wasn't just the the pace of of ministry um, and having young family. And I was also finishing seminary. Now you're like, no, that's why you're burnt out, Justin. And I I was actually doing that for about three years, and it was it was okay. Um, what really changed for me uh, was uh, Lakeside has gone through a lot of changes over the past couple of years. A lot of them really good changes. A lot of them really necessary and healthy changes. But at the same time, I was on staff for 12 years, and toward the end of those 12 years, I was changing too. My my views on on um, how church should operate they were changing, and that's okay. That happens. That's what happens when we define our our lives and our faith a little further. And so, um, over time, what I was wrestling with internally was whether or not the way that Lakeside had changed and the way that I had changed was congruent. I was just trying to figure out whether or not these things matched up. And and eventually, um, I I started noticing that God was. Gently sort of nudging me out and then eventually maybe not so <laughs> gently um, So it put me to the point where I was yeah burnt out had to take a sabbatical um, I was scheduled for the sabbatical But I, I had to take it anyway because if I didn't uh, I would have been really really in trouble um, And so that was last summer kind of overlapped with Alex's actually and uh, so Lindsay and I we, we spent time over that period really just praying through um, What that was gonna look like when we came back Um one of, the th- one of the things we specifically prayed for was that over the course of the first two months of us being back, so August and September, we prayed that God would reveal to us whether we were to stay or whether we were to go. Um, and within two months, God did just that because uh, God is, is faithful in that way. And so um, by November, I had uh, I had submitted my resignation and I had zero prospects, which was a very, very scary thing. Enters Alex. Alex and I started grabbing some coffee uh every now w- and then. I
0: remember I saw you across a crowded room. I'd Bean, a and I was like, That that guy's freewheeling. That <laughs> I'm not sure if this is gonna work out. <laughs> so yeah, we we'd grabbed the
1: coffee I think before I had even resigned. And um a bunch and, of times, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and uh we didn't really know each other that well, but we knew of each other and and uh we have a mutual connection through uh Alison Pinch's uh sister-in-law they're there they're back there somewhere um holding her holding her new nephew so sweet um and so anyway we we hit it off really well i think um and uh and uh, toward the end of that very first coffee i said hey well if you're ever looking for like a, a worship and outreach guy just just let me know um and after many more coffees and eventually uh, interview process and that kind of thing, um, I was brought on staff with about a week and a half to spare in terms of like you know the overlap. I had said to Lakeside that I was going to be done on March 31st, um, and I had about a week and a half before that of kind of sorting out the details of contracts and all that good stuff. And then it was like March 31st. I preached at Lakeside downtown. April 1st, I was cleaning my office uh, here, and so it was a very stark contrast, but it was really, really great. Um, So here I am.
0: (laughs) And we're glad you're here. Yeah. (laughs) Hmm. Now, rumor has it you're a freewheeling kind of guy. So my next question is, what do you do for fun? Like, when you really let down your hair, what does that Justin look like? Um... (laughs) So, Kurt, my favorite hobbies right now um, are
1: watching the Blue Jays lose, um, and, uh, yeah, I need, new, I need new hobbies. So, actually, I, 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 the, the, in, the, in the first service, um, I, I, Alex talked about um, I actually helping me find some new hobbies. We're going to uh, do contest. Yeah. And, and so I had several people, like, there was, a, um, uh, I think it was Angeline, she came up and said, hey, uh, do you garden? No, no, thank you. Um, Do you hike? I was like, because my dog needs it. That's about it. Um, But uh, the the closest thing that I have to a hobby right now is uh, arguing... uh, getting into theological debates with people on Twitter. That's, that's much to my wife's chagrin. Um, that is, that is my favorite thing to do currently. Uh, but I am a big fan of, uh, podcasts. I love just while well, I'm doing stuff around the house, listening to podcasts. Um, and, and, uh, lo and behold, they're often a very nerdy theological podcast as well. So if you're ever looking for something of that nature, just, just talk to me and I can give you a few, uh, a, a few of them. Um, and I'm actually planning to start my own. So there's a little hobby that I am trying to kind of get on. Um, I'm planning to start my own podcast in the next couple of months. So, um, I will be, uh, if you're on social media, you might get inundated with that. Um. So uh, that'll be fun. Uh, but as a family, Lindsay and Iris, they were at the first service, uh, but uh, we love doing stuff together. We have a, a pool in our backyard, and so over the summer months, um, Iris is really, really, really obsessed with that. She's been asking every single day, um, Daddy, please clean the pool. Um, Daddy, is, Daddy, there's leaves in the pool. Daddy, it's green. Um, so she doesn't quite get the fact that it's like eight degrees today and uh, that the pool is even colder, um, but that's all right. Uh, and as well Lindsay and I. we celebrated our ten year anniversary last week, and uh, so we did a little Niagara on the lake uh, winery tour, which was a lot of fun and those are those are some little things that we like to do every now and then
0: so yeah and I think another hobby of yours is hockey related, right is, 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 oh, is
1: I, did, there... I didn't want to bring it up because there's 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 tension and uh, yeah. yeah and and I'm trying to be unified with our with our KPC staff, you know. <laughs> Yeah, um, but you know, I, I feel like we're all, all, both our teams are golfing, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And,
0: and, and yeah. the Apostle Paul says in Second Corinthians that we are broken vessels of clay. <laughs> and some of us are more broken than others. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll pray for you and your habits. Um, but seriously, uh, we're, we're so happy that you're here, along with uh, Lindsay and Iris. They were sitting over there at 9 a.m. Uh, and we are looking forward to getting to know you better and, and growing with you guys and uh, as a church. So let me pray for you before you bring God's word to us. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who brings the pieces together. And often our lives do feel pretty broken. It's not a joke. Um, mm-hmm. And scattered. And we wonder how you're going to do your work of shalom-making, of peacemaking, of unifying us um, and by your grace, you do. You show up and you create order out of what often seems to be chaos. Um, we praise you that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And, and you write the story of our lives from the beginning to the end, from before the beginning to after the end, um, into eternity. And, and I praise you and thank you that you brought Justin and Lindsay and Iris here to be among us, to be part of our church family Um, And I ask you to equip Justin with what he needs to do his work leading us in worship, leading us in outreach. I pray that... uh all the gifts that we've already seen that he has would continue to grow, that you would challenge him, that you would surround him with people who support him, encourage him with new friends. So I pray for him that way, and also as he brings your word to us today, Holy Spirit, would you speak your truth and your grace into our hearts and our minds this morning? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so
1: first service, um, I, uh, this is my first time preaching here, and I kept tripping over the carpet there, so I'm going to move up a few feet, um, and maybe I'll trip less, but I really really think we need to do something about this carpet. Um, I think we might hear a little bit about that later. (laughs) Uh, uh, Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, and uh, if you're wondering who Theophilus is, we don't really know other than that he uh, was kind of the bankroller for uh, for this particular um, uh, book, including uh, the book of Luke's the the, the the book of Luke and the book of Acts, which were both written by the physician Luke. Uh, they were bankrolled by this guy named Theophilus. So in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Well, it's a pretty cool opportunity finishing one series and starting a new one next week. We just finished going through the book of John. And next week, uh, we will be starting a series, working through um, different pieces of, of First Corinthians, exploring the theme of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a really cool opportunity to kind of have a week in the middle that's a little bit um, uh, random, but it's actually not random, uh, because there's an opportunity that we have to look at kind of what happened um, that, that was the catalyst to um, the Holy Spirit being among His belie- Jesus' believers in a new way. And this is the, the moment that we're talking about here. It's really, really, really cool. So what I'm hoping to do this morning is to give us a little bit of a primer on a practical theology of the mission of God and the mission of God's people. Um, I'm really excited about this as a part of my uh, role as the director of outreach. Uh, Obviously you've seen me uh, in my, and my worship role um, on most Sundays that that I've been on stage and I love doing that, but this is something that just wells from within me, from a, from a deep place when we talk about the mission of God and the mission of God's people, uh, that I, I want us to see over time that God's story that begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation is God moving in a trajectory toward the margins, outward in trajectory, and that we as God's church are to be doing the very same thing. Now, one particular piece of the puzzle for Courtright is I've been working on over the past couple weeks, I've been working on a congregational survey, um, and this is just a little pitch for that, um, and uh, I'm hoping that I'm, I'm going to get as many of you as possible, whether you are an adult, whether you are a teenager, whether you are a preteen, I want your feedback on how we uh, feel that Courtright is engaged on the issues of hospitality, evangelism, mission, and outreach in our And I mean that for both you individually and for the broader church as well. And so we're going to be sending out a link over the uh, e-blast this week. Uh, it's on, it's right here as well. So if you prefer to kind of get a head start on it, you can take a screenshot of that or write that down. Um, and as well, if you are someone who doesn't really do computers very well, I do have some physical copies. I would say that if you have the ability to do it online, I I would prefer that just because it makes compiling data a lot easier. Um, but if you have the if you if you don't have that ability, by all means, please grab one of these after the end of the service. It'll be a available um in the in the weeks to come so um that's just a little pitch for that and and the idea is that we're going to be able to look at where we see each other how we see our church how we see ourselves individually when it comes to these issues of hospitality evangelism outreach and um, so i'm really looking forward to seeing what god does in and through that i'm hoping that it will inspire us as we think about the future so here's our big idea this morning The big idea is that the world was not changed primarily by a location or a building, but it was changed by a person, Jesus. God's people connect others to Jesus, not simply a church building. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to walk through a little bit of how the Judeo-Christian world have thought about community and church buildings and temple over the millennia, because you see this really fascinating trend where um, I think I think the church often um, struggles with balance. You know that on one end of the spectrum, you get people that are really obsessed with, um, kind of deconstructing church ideas and saying, no, no, we don't need church buildings. We don't need this. We don't need that. And on the far end of the other spectrum, you see people that are obsessed with buildings. Um, and I want to say, um, let's meet somewhere in the middle here and have a conversation. So uh, on, uh, and I would say that there have been detrimental things on both ends of the spectrum. Um, when you think about, uh, Europe, think about who here has been to some of the beautiful cathedrals in Europe. A lot of you. That's awesome. My absolute favorite is uh, York Minster. Um, It is to me the most beautiful church I've ever been in my life, Um, besides this one, obviously. Um, um, Yeah. Um, But um, uh, when I when I think about that beautiful building that dates back to like 300 A.D., like my heart just wells with excitement and beauty. But here's the here's the problem: is that there are thousands upon thousands of expensive, beautiful, ornate buildings that are completely empty every single Sunday. They're selling them off in Toronto to become condos. And we are living in a world, in a post-Christian world, that has seen that they don't really care about that. And that's a problem, but also it, it's probably Christian's fault a little bit, <laughs> um, that they overemphasize that. But on the other end of the spectrum, you see, um, something really powerful and beautiful happening. When I think about China, China, which is, um, about to become one of the most or the most Christian nation in the world. That's wild to think about, by the way, absolutely crazy. Um, and they are not allowed to have buildings. In fact, they're experiencing a new wave of, of persecution and they are standing strong and holding firm because they believe so deeply and so strongly in what God has called and commissioned them to do and they do not need buildings to do it. And that is their context and their climate and um, obviously we, we see the, the beauty in that. But we are deeply blessed in Canada to be able to have the ability to meet in a space like this. I love this space. A month and a half in, I love um, worshiping with you here. I love that I can kind of turn my, my gaze and see different groups of people. And, you know, I, you, if, if these guys aren't looking very friendly, I can kind of focus my attention over here. <laughs> That's right. Um, you see, you got you to vie for my attention, okay? So you got to, like, whoever interacts with me the most. Uh, Amen. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> So what we're going to see this morning is two outlooks, neither of them bad or wrong. I want to be very clear here. Both of them are good. Both of them are healthy. But sometimes there are negative ramifications when we overemphasize or overfocus on aspects of it. So I want to look at a man named Solomon. You will know Solomon as uh, the second king of Israel, or sorry, the third king of Israel after uh, King Saul, King David, and then Solomon, who is the son of King David. So David had it in his heart that he was going to build a temple. He was going to build a temple for the Lord, um, or a house for the Lord, as they sometimes called it, um, a place for, for people to gather and to worship. But it was, it was Solomon, his son, who had the privilege of actually seeing this building um, uh, come to fruition. You get to realize this vision. And Solomon was, wasn't naive enough to think that this was kind of the only dwelling place for the Lord. Um, and in fact, he says this in, uh, in a prayer of dedication over this temple. He says this in First Kings chapter 8. He says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. So Solomon recognizes that he can't contain God, that God isn't, um, isn't contained to a building. God is the God of the universe, not the God of Israel. He is bigger and greater than we could ever imagine. The splendor of Solomon's temple could never, ever match the splendor of our God. And he prays this prayer of dedication over this new temple, starting with recognizing our rightful place before God. And he prays that this temple would be a safe haven to all who enter, a place to pray, a place to worship. And so I want to pick it up at verse 41 as Solomon continues to, uh, his prayer of dedication. He says, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name. He's kind of assuming they they will hear about your great name because you are great and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. (laughs) do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that the, all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel and may know that this house I have built bears your name. It's actually really cool if you read through... Um, this section of the Bible. Sometimes we tend to glaze over. If you're ever going through like a, a Bible in a year plan, you know it gets to the bits about, um, you know, like and you know they had these like cherubim and seraphim and all these like ornate details of the temple. It's easy to glaze over them, right? Um, or just to say, I'm going to just go back to the narrative, right? Um, but there's something profound and beautiful about what Solomon is doing here. Is that he is opening up the doors and saying, Hey, this is a beautiful, wonderful, gorgeous temple for the glory of God, and not, and we're not going to shut everyone out. We're we're going to invite everyone to come in. This, we want to open this place up to be a place of beauty and wonder for everyone who is seeking Yahweh, the Lord. And he says, I want people to, pray, if they can't make it to the temple, I want them to pray toward the temple, um, and it, which is very similar to what um, Muslims do for Mecca. And in fact, uh, devout Jews to this day will still do that. They will pray the Shema. They will say, um, Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And they will pray that toward Jerusalem. Solomon's vision was that people would be so compelled by this God that they would have to come to this temple and experience the splendor and grandeur of Yahweh. And so he opened the temple for the nations to come and to pray and to worship. This was not an ethnocentric temple. This was not for an an exclusive nationality, but it was meant to be for all peoples. And this was noble. And I would say this was revolutionary. Revolutionary. This was there was not a whole lot like this in the world up to this point. Um, other religions tend to really um, really quarantine up and say, No no no, you are you were this is our space, you're not allowed. There's a, there's a deep territorial nature to a lot of these things. But Solomon said, No, 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 we want this to be a place for the nations. But God is not content this is the beauty of God. He is not content with simply a vision of people making a trek to Jerusalem. In a fallible city, in a fallible building that was destroyed several times over the years. And even today, the Temple Mount, if you go visit it, has anyone been? Has anyone been? A couple of you. Um, Christians or Jews can't go in and pray because it's, it's occupied by, by Muslims um, and by Israeli law. Um, only Muslims are allowed to pray there. So I'm really deeply thankful that God had a wider vision than just a physical space because if we put our hopes in a temple built thousands of years ago, or even a temple built within the past century, we will struggle and be disappointed because it is fallible. So let's move, the forward, move forward on our journey and move toward Jesus, the time of Jesus, the temple in Jerusalem, in, the, in between Solomon And in between Jesus, it had been already destroyed once. And in fact, another 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, it was about to be destroyed again. So Jesus takes his message outside the temple. In fact, one of the few interactions we see of Jesus inside the temple is him turning over the tables. Now... A lot of times we kind of think about you know Jesus going in and and uh, getting righteous and uh, you know getting angry at everyone. We think it's about the money. We think it's about that there's money being exchanged and the money lenders are are there and and it's a bit of a corrupt system that they had where they were kind of um, selling you uh, selling you um, the uh, proper sacrifices and and they were making a, a lot of money off it and that was bad and that was corrupt and that was not a healthy thing. But that wasn't the main reason why Jesus was so angry. The reason that Jesus was so angry is that they decided to do that in the one place that was reserved for people that were non-Jews. You see, on the, on the right hand side, or the left hand, yeah, right hand side of the temple, there is something called the court of the Gentiles. And in the court of the Gentiles, that was the place where, where the nations, as Solomon prescribed, the nations could go and worship Yahweh and learn about Yahweh. And these people were saying, no, no, we don't really like those Jews, or those non-Jews. We don't like those Gentiles. We want to um, stop them from coming and worshiping in our temple. I've seen churches that are a lot like this today. We don't like you, so we're going to keep you out of our building. It's a problem. By the way, I don't think court rights like that. I'm just (laughs) just to clarify. Um, they were impeding the ability for Solomon's vision to be fulfilled. This angered Jesus with a righteous anger, so that's why he went flipping over tables. But by and large, Jesus, he casts an expanded vision of what Solomon hoped for. Jesus saw a world where God's people were being transformed, not simply by a location, but by God's presence being saturated wherever God's people went. So Jesus's message, if you go through the the Gospels, it was largely done in open air. You know, he would uh, think about the Sermon on the Mount, um, all done in open air. Think about the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is out on the streets showing people what the kingdom of God is to be like, a kingdom of hope and a kingdom of light and a kingdom of love. He felt no reason to be confined merely to a temple. And people were desperate for this. People were desperate to reach Jesus. There were people that would cut holes in roofs so that so that they, their friend could be lowered down and healed. There, were, there was a woman who was traipsing through and, and just trying to break through the crowd just so she could even touch the hem of Jesus' garments to be healed. They weren't looking for a location. They were looking for a person. They were looking for Jesus. They were desperate to experience the God in flesh, God incarnate. They were desperate to be changed by Jesus. None of that took place in the temple. And so it makes sense that all of Jesus' final words about his, before his ascension revolved kind of around this idea. So I want you to turn with me, um, if you haven't already, we can go back. We're going to go back to Acts and we're going to look at verses 6, 7, and 8. So the disciples, they're a, kind of a thick lot sometimes. They, they don't quite get it. So they gather around Jesus and they ask him, Lord, so now you've died and and, and you've been resurrected. So Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this our time finally? And Jesus, I can only imagine, um, I can only imagine Jesus had, um, kind of one of those like head forehead smacking moments, So they were kind of wondering, okay, so finally we're going to be rid of the Romans. Finally, you you know, you you kept, you know, not dealing with them, but now you're finally going to come in and there's going to be an army sent in and we are going to have our own country again and this is going to be beautiful. But Jesus made it clear that this kingdom of God was not a nationalistic movement. It was not a nation. It was not about a nation gaining socio-political currency. And so Jesus goes on to say, he says, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by His own authority. Basically saying, it's none of your business, guys. This isn't, you're missing the points. You're missing the points. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my, my, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you've ever read through the Book of Acts, it's really cool because the way that um, this is phrased is actually the is, is is the kind of the trajectory that you see in this passage. So um, the the Holy Spirit um, at Pentecost comes on the people of God, and that's in Jerusalem, and then they work their way out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. One of my favorite writers and Christian thinkers is a guy named uh, Ed Stetzer, and he thinks about um, these different spheres in in different ways. And I think that um, we don't live in Jerusalem, um, but we kind of have a Jerusalem. We don't live we don't live anywhere near Judea, but we have something comparable in our world today. Um, and so, when we think about these four spheres, Jerusalem is kind of like where we are right now. We look around, and we say, all, "All you people are kind of like me in some capacity. We we believe." mostly the same things. We, we have a kinship. We have an affinity with one another. Um, and that's, that, this is kind of our Jerusalem here. But you go out to the margins a little further and you're going to find people that are maybe a little bit like you, but you'll find some disagreements. You know, um, they, These are people that would represent... Um, People that are in uh, people that are in your community of faith, or maybe they share a common worldview, but there are some differences. You know, I, I think about um, some of the guys that Christians seem to really lob these days. I, I think of uh, two guys in particular that are not Christians: uh, Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson. Um, these are two guys that that Christians are kind of championing. These guys, and I have mixed thoughts and feelings about them, um, but they would be some guys that would say they're, they're championing a lot of things that Christians are all about, and so they they might be kind of in this. Judea um, realm where they're not quite our Jerusalem, where they're not quite kinship, um, but they are, they're not far off. And then there's Samaria and Samaria is kind of where we get into this contentious territory because if you'll recall, um, Samaria, uh, was not a place that Jews liked to go to. Um, they did not like them. They were seen as, um, kind of half bloods. They were seen as, um, stained, uh, by the, by the world. And so, uh, this was a, not a, this was not a thing, not a positive thing for them, but God was calling them to be, uh, uh, to be friends and to be, uh, to be people that were reaching the people of Samaria. And so this could look like people in your world, in your sphere that you do not like. People that, um, go a lot across political divides, people across all sorts of, uh, all sorts of other divides that, um, it's, I mean, this is very pervasive in our world today, right? All you have to do is go on Facebook or Twitter for two seconds and realize how divided we are becoming in so many ways. Um, and uh, it becomes increasingly difficult to have meaningful dialogue. But the Lord calls us to reach out to not just Jerusalem and Judea, not to people that we like and have a kinship with, but to the people of Samaria, a.k.a. the people that you would have a Facebook debate with over politics or religion or sexuality, all of those different things. We would say, these people are, we don't believe the same, but God is calling us to to minister to them. And then the ends of the earth kind of represents everything else under the sun. And what's really, really cool is that we are in a in a country, in a moment in time, our cultural moment is that uh, the ends of the earth, we don't always even have to go out to them because they're all coming to us. It's a remarkable time that we live in, especially when we live in Canada that is um, generally very supportive of, of immigrants and refugees. And the beauty of this is that we don't have to get on a plane and fly across uh, the continent or fly across the ocean to go to the ends of the earth because the ends of the earth are coming right to our neighborhood. All we have to do is walk down the streets. It's incredible. Um, it's, it's remarkable, and it's beautiful, actually, and it's an opportunity for the for the followers of Jesus to grab hold of. Now, I want to be really clear. When we look at this, this is not a sequential order. This is not something where you say, okay, well, I'm going to just try to start to get along with the people in my, you know, Jerusalem, and then I'm going to kind of start working my way out. That's not the point. Some of you that are followers of Jesus, maybe if you're a new follower of Jesus, you might just dive on the deep end and say, I'm going to start reaching my Muslim neighbors. I'm going to start um, I'm I'm going to you know do some mission work overseas. I have some friends that were um, they were mission workers in uh, northern Africa uh, working along working along uh Muslim people in uh, in a country there and uh, they dove off the deep end in a profound and powerful way. And uh it's remarkable the work that God did in and through them. So this is not some sequential order of like, okay, once I finally have learned how to love you know, all of the people in Judea and Samaria, then I can kind of work my way up. This is not how that works. What Luke, the writer, is describing, what he's describing here is what I'm going to call the reversal of temple theology. That before, the hope was for people to come to us, but through Jesus and the Spirit, we now go to them. Now, the beauty is, when we build these connections and these inroads, that the, the beauty is that they actually often do, because they want to be part of community. Community is a beautiful thing, and, and it's an opportunity that when we build these inroads, that there's a chance that they might be a part of what we have here. But the big question is, how do we accomplish this? how do we accomplish this? This is not an easy task. This is, um, one of the most difficult things that Christians will deal with. And as I, I'm sure we'll find out with some of the results from this survey. Um, I'm sure that there are lots of you across this room that are deeply struggling with, I don't know how to do this. I don't feel equipped to do this. I feel super nervous. I don't even know that that's, that it's my role to be reaching my neighbors. So the metaphor that I kind of came up with, um, for how we do this, is that we become mobile temples. So go back to the picture of the temple. Um, <clears throat> imagine that temple with wheels on it. That's us. And actually, um, Christina, uh, one, of our, one of our elders on session, she came up to me afterward. She said, I had a picture, and this is way better than my analogy. Um, she said, I have a picture of, um, of everyone on Segways. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I already like this. So I have a picture of everyone on Segways. And, um, and, and when we go to church, it's like plugging it in into the charging station. And I was like, why didn't I think of that? But that's why we need community. <laughs> so we become mobile temples or Segways, whatever you prefer, by being temples that are not affixed to a location, but that are constantly moving towards Samaria and the ends of the earth. The Spirit of God was initially thought to um, reside in the Holy of Holies behind that curtain there. That there was like a concentrated spirit of God there um, in the Holy of Holies, hidden behind a veil where only priests were allowed to go. But Jesus, in his death and resurrection, he tore that veil and he opened up the world to the presence of the God of the universe. And Jesus sends us the very spirit of God to dwell in his followers so that we can embody the spirit of the temple. The heart that Solomon had, the heart that Solomon had was a good heart. It was very, very revolutionary for its time. But now it's realized in a new way for a new age because God works in new ways. No longer do people need to come to a temple, but rather the temple can go to them. This is again, even more revolutionary. This is, um, I don't know if there's any physics nerds in the house. Is there any, anyone that's like, you know, physics? Okay. So, um, I might get this wrong, Mark, and you can, you can correct me later, but there is, um, there's something called, uh, centrifugal and centripetal force. So if something has centripetal force, it is moving inward. Um, is this fairly correct? You can, you know, don't, don't correct me now, Mark. Um, it's too late. It's too, it's too late. So imagine a roller coaster. Now, um, how many of you have ever seen a roller coaster when, um, it's been stuck like in the rain or whatever in the middle of the loop, right? Have you ever seen that where they're like, they're like right where they are, but they're stuck. They can't move any further. Um, that's what the harnesses are for, right? The harnesses are only there for events like that. Cause the reality is, um, if you went on that loop to loop without the harness and did it as it's supposed to do, um, you will stay in because of a centripetal force. Uh, it's, it's keeping you inward. However, um, I want you to think about, uh, look at this Porsche. It is rounding a bend, and when you are going this way, your body, which way does it go? Outwards. Outwards. So there's a basic primer and I'm probably wrong, but the basic idea is that there is something that is moving inward and there is another that is moving outward. So Jesus gives, these, gives us the ability to see that his work is not confined by proximity and Jesus is encouraging us and saying, we need to stop focusing on the inward and look toward out. But old habits can die really hard. Jesus had this incredible new model, but we keep going back to the old one. If you grew up in church, um, you might've heard a little song. Uh, it's this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Um, yeah, it's a problem. Jesus calls us as these mobile, mobile temples to be the light of the world. He says these words in, uh, Matthew, Matthew five. Yeah, it says you are the light of the world. My fear at times is that we become a people that, you know, we get together Sunday morning and we let our light shine. We, maybe, maybe we're like, you know, praising God during worship and that and whatnot. And that's all well and good. But then when we go to our spheres outside of Sunday morning, that that, um, what do they talk about? That one verse of that song, like the, they you know, put a bushel over it or whatever. Like um, it, that, that's us. And that's not the design that Jesus wanted. That is not the vision that Jesus was putting forth. Um, there's a guy named John Wesley. He was the founder of the Methodist movement in the 1700s. And he famously said, the whole world is my parish. He was struggling with the stagnant faith of, uh, of the Anglican church at that point. They'd been around for a couple hundred years. And, and he looked at them and, and kind of felt like they had lost the plot a little bit. And so he, um, as a part of his passion, went outside of their community and was did did a lot of like open air preaching. Um, he, uh, he, he did a lot of kind of revival type things and it was very, very remarkable the, the way it, uh, the way it all went about. He connected people to Jesus. That was the first thing he did. He connected them with them Jesus. And then what was cool is that then the churches, physical buildings and, and, you know, otherwise that is when they started spreading up. So connected to Jesus first. So this is a tension that we have to wrestle with, and it's and it's actually a beautiful tension on a morning like this because in a few moments when I'm done, uh, Andrew Isaac from Session is going to come up and share about um, I think a, a really brilliant plan for what we are hoping to do in this physical space uh, over the summer months as we uh, as we renovate and prepare for kind of a permanent one service move, and I think that this is actually brilliant because it is going to help us be more hospitable. It is going to help us um, do more. What I'm going call outreach type things. Uh, And so I'm actually very excited about this because I believe that Courtright is poised, and it's part of the reason why I'm going to keep harping on this survey, because I want to get a sense of where you think we're at. I believe that Courtright is poised to do incredible things for not just ourselves, but for the community, for the people around us, for the city of Guelph, for God's kingdom to be made manifest in our city. And that we can do that through the building that God has so richly blessed us with, and I believe that there's a lot of potential there. I think where we get lost is that we can occasionally, um, I should say, we, we can occasionally put church in, in the wrong place. Um, there's a guy um, named Reggie McNeil. He's a missiologist, which is just a fancy way of saying he's a guy who um, has a degree in you kind know, of the mission of God. Um, and he says that the church is like an airport. Airports are critical. Um, you don't go to an airport, though, just to go to the airports. You go to the airport to get to another destination. In this case, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. This is our ultimate goal. That the church gets to be used, both the church, the gathered church, and the physical church itself gets to be used as a conduit to the kingdom of God. And where we get lost is when we focus more on me, 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 rather than we, 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 and outside the community. The airport is critical. I don't want us to walk away from this morning thinking, wow, Justin doesn't really like buildings. I'm actually, like I said, I'm super excited for what God is going to do through this place as we renovate over the summer months. And this carpet really needs, (laughs) it really needs to go. But the church is a conduit to ushering in the kingdom of God just as an airport acts as a conduit to our ultimate destination. What I want us to reclaim here are the words of Jesus in Acts 1, verse 8. That's kind of the the cornerstone of that passage. That by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we are sent into all the world, into our workplaces, into our schools, our communities, to bear witness to the risen Jesus and to show that with not just our deeds, but our words as well. Both of those in tandem. So just a few questions to consider as we wrap up. Every single one of you in this room has a sphere of influence. You have a community of people. I don't care whether it's your like online gaming community. I don't care whether it's your school, your sports team, your work, uh, a board of directors that you serve on. Every single one of us has a sphere. And I want to know what some of those are, which is one of the questions I ask in our survey. I want to know what those are. I want to know where your spheres of influence are, where you are serving, where you're spending your time. This week, I want you to reflect on whether you've been utilizing those spheres to their full potential. Now, I'm not talking about making projects of the people in your in those spheres and saying, oh, I'm going to I'm going to convert them because that's not your job. That's the Lord's job. However, are you listening and, and, and ready for the Holy Spirit's nudges when they come? Are, are you ready when, when God is prompting you to say, I, I, "I need you just to tell that friend that you 're praying for them or that person that, you are, um, uh, that that you are just wanting to see how they 're doing, and that would be super awkward if you 're in the middle of like playing uh, like halo or something and, and you know you 're talking with someone over the, one of these things, um, But I think in most spheres that there are opportunities for you as the people of God to show your, the love of Jesus intangible. In spoken ways. This will mean sharing our faith in what I'm going to call supernaturally natural ways. It will mean being generous with our time and our resources. It will mean expressing in tangible ways the character and the person of Jesus. So the question is this How can we be better stewards of not only this building, but of the social spheres that God has placed us in individually? The gathered church, or again, this is like our opportunity. I, I love Christina's little um, uh, metaphor there of the church is where we kind of plug in and then the segue, we get to ride it the rest of the week. We have to be mobile churches, mobile, mobile temples. So what social spheres has God placed you individually in that he wants you to think on how to have a better impact in? We don't do church just to do more church. We don't have programs just to have more programs. We don't have events just to do more events because we need to fill our calendar. That's not being a good steward. The church is a conduit to Jesus. And are we, the church, going to do this, whether we are gathered here or scattered throughout the week? I will say this and then pray. You are a Holy Spirit-filled temple with legs or wheels, whatever, whatever you prefer. So start, start living like it. You are a Holy Spirit-filled temple with legs. So live like it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity uh, for your word to permeate into our hearts and minds. I pray that as we reflect on what has been said, as we reflect on the words of Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit to go out, God, I pray that we would take seriously our spheres that you would allow us to just uh to just really think deeply on how and w- how and when and where and why we are going to um just have a deeper and greater impact on our uh on our community in the city of Guelph for your kingdom and for your glory. And so God as we uh, as we think this through and as we pray this through and now as we hear about some things that we can do to make our own city, or our, or sorry, our own facility more hospitable, more hospitable, I pray that you would, uh, that you would just move in and guide us in a profound and powerful way. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.
2: talk through it. Okay. Good morning. My name is Andrew Isaac. I'm one of the elders on Session and uh, Session wanted to update you on a couple things, a few things. Uh, One regarding the financial status of givings for our church because we had some concerns last year and we also want to update on the renovation, the plan renovation we've been talking about and uh, how you might give to this project. So uh, the first uh, the next slide will be uh, a chart uh, it is posted on the photo board in the, the main hallway too if you want to take a closer look um, but the the blue is projected we project how how much givings will come in and the the green is the the actual that's come in so for the first three months we, we've we exceeded our targets and uh, April we were happy with two we were pretty much on on target for, for giving. So that's that's great news. And overall we're now at sixty six hundred over our projected target as of the end of April. So we thank God for for his provision and giving us these resources to to um, uh do the work of, of this church. So thank you thank you so much for for your givings. Um, number two is uh renovation. So Earlier in the year, we were talking about going to the, the single-service uh, format for our church because of, of, a, of um, a few reasons going on, uh, but we need to, to host all of the first, the 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. all together in one group. Uh, we need capacity. Usually, an average attendance is about 170 people at our church, but it can go as up, up to about 280 last year, I'm not sure which Sunday that was, but on special events, b- baptisms and Easter and Christmas, we, we do get a large number of people in here. So we want to have capacity for everybody who comes, plus obviously a little more. There always should be empty seats for people to feel welcome and come in and sit down. So our objectives were to increase the capacity of the of the church, uh, make better use of our space. Uh, how, how can we better use this great sanctuary w- w- we have here? Um, and I think that just the whole time, the whole theme of hospitality in. How can we be more welcoming? How can you, just as in your home, you want a, a comfortable and pleasant space? Uh, how can you? How can we do that here as we gather as a church uh, to worship our, our, our Lord? So for the past several months, um, there's been maintenance. There's been session um, as, uh, uh, st- and staff have been talking about this, going over uh, options with an architect we had about 15 plans I think 16 plans a lot to a lot of options to go through and they've come up with one that is probably the most cost effective <clears throat> here's the picture of the drawing uh, just to orientate yourself so in the top um, left hand side is the the stage where I am now this is the stage and all the the squares are the seats and uh, the b- bottom corner is uh, a section of of our church it's the youth room and the and the storage, and there's a, a it was a games room um, and a bit of the community room. Not just showing a portion of our church. So what uh, originally at the AGM we talked about maybe reorientating the the um, the sanctuary or the stage over here, but in the end it made most sense and it's also most cost effective to just keep the stage where it is. We are going to embrace our triangle shape of our, our sanctuary and keep as is. We're just gonna change how things look. You'll notice with all the squares of the seating, uh, this section would expand and go farther back. uh, And these, the side areas would be a bit smaller, but we obviously we need to keep uh, spacing for, for walkways. We'd also probably bring the number of seats up a bit. So we'd have at the end about 289 seats available. So next. One, so I've, I've labeled this A. This is the sanctuary portion. This is where you're sitting. This is where you, you'd obviously see the most change. And the, the biggest change is, if you look down, would be the carpet. All this would be recarpeted, and this would definitely be recarpeted here. And there'd be no <laughs> tripping incidents. So for health and safety, we need to uh, recarpet this area. The, another portion is we'd really love to put new uh, chairs in. Uh, lockable chairs that can be locked together. And they have this new technology called foam, and actually you can buy foam chairs, and it'd be a cushion under your on the seat, so it'd be very comfortable. So padded chairs is something we're, we'd really love to to put here. Section B is the the old games room. It's really underutilized space, and that's something we want to repurpose as a, a prayer area. Right now, it's that corner of the sanctuary where people meet after the sanctuary. We'd like to to move it into to that space behind that wall. It could also be used as a multi-purpose space, so meetings and Bible studies could be done there too. Where we want to better use that space that's underutilized. Next one. Section C is the, the the sound booth. So right now, the sound booth is there. That's where we control all the audio and the video feeds. We'd like to move it actually... Into the uh, existing worship office, we'd be taking down some walls there. Alex is demonstrating where that office is. The sound booth would be moved in that area, but we can't leave Justin without an office. So that office would be behind that wall of the sound booth. What's that? Okay, mobile temple. We we'll just plug them in. Okay, but there will be an office uh, over there, and that's how we'll be reutilizing the space. Um, yeah, I think that's the major changes that are they're going on. But obviously, there is um, well, how is it all going to get done? How will that be? How quickly can this happen? Our objective is to get it done by September. So when we, cut, we gather back after the summer holidays, uh, most of this would be done. That's the plan. Uh, it may require some services in the gym. Well, there's some, some construction dust going on here. It may require um, no video on the screens. Might have to use hymn books or just from our, our memories of our good old hymns. Um, and <clears throat> there might be uh, sound, sound issues too, but for a couple weeks. But I think we can adjust for the bigger bigger vision of the, the change. Next slide. So how much does it cost? Well, we want to be transparent. This is our current estimate: about one hundred and ten thousand dollars for these changes. You think? Um, You kind of wonder how that that number gets up so high, but when you start coming up to these line items, uh, there's a lot to to go through. Uh, Drawings, uh, upgraded sound booth computer, um, some abatement measures because of the installation in the walls, uh, upgrading the LED lighting so they're more energy efficient, and some paint on the walls. Obviously, the architect and engineers, uh, their assistants. Uh, For those who uh, have problems with hearing, we want to... Enhance the provision for uh, hearing aids, uh, so they can can better hear what's going on. Uh, there's obviously electrical work, moving some some panels around. Um, when we expand the space, you also have to look at the HVAC, which is the heating and ventilation and air conditioning that has to be looked at. There it is the carpet and baseboard and the structural work of removing the walls at the back. Uh, the last two items are something we're putting as provisional. Uh, the reuse of the folding wall. There is a folding wall that's, that's right at the back, uh, in the youth room. And we'd like to move that perhaps into the east pod so we can make better use of that space and we can divide up into two rooms when we, we don't need a, such a large space. And again, the, the stacking lockable padded chairs, uh, are something that we, we, we'd love to make happen. It's just not right on the, the top of the list. We want to get everything else done and then put these, uh, padded chairs in. So that's, that's, uh, how it comes up to about 110,000. Um, hopefully this is the, a close estimate. We're still working on some numbers, but that's to give you an idea of what's going on. Um, I did want to tell you that the elders have decided to already pledge their amount of uh, about $15,000 to this already to get the ball rolling, and I believe somebody else has already given the $500. So we're, we're starting our way to uh, giving towards this project. Next slide. Um, so special givings. This is how we're going to fund this project. We want to have a, a special offering in a couple of weeks. You can put the next slide up. So th- these are the ways to give to this project. The there, one is online. You can use your credit card, go to uh, Courtright Church, click on giving and just type in renovation so we know that's where it's designated. And you can give there. There's also going to be a special giving Sunday in two weeks. So we'll, like we've done previously, we'll have an offering right at the beginning of the service for the, this, this project people are able to give there will be special envelopes you can put your <clears throat> check in and then at the end of the service we'll, we'll announce how much we've raised um, and you can feel free to post date your checks uh, to the end of September if, if you need to do that so all this information I, I, I do have made it available a little brochure it's called Building, Building for Our Future it's on the table at the back in the community room but I've also got extra copies here shows you the, the the drawing and where the, the money's being allocated. So if you want more information, it also shows you how to how to give. Um, if you have any questions about this, feel free to talk to myself or for Ken Phillips. And uh, also I'd really like to ask you for prayer. Renovation projects can be big and a little little scary. Uh, there's always unexpected things. We don't want unexpected things, but I I pray that you'd the permits would go well, the, the negotiations with the city for those permits. Uh, hiring contractors, that there would just be no hiccups. I uh, really ask for your prayer in, in, for this renovation. Thanks for your time.